It's the other kind of radio. It's nine o'clock in the morning. It's July 29th. And it's an exciting time for the show because we're getting to the top 10 of the AFI list. I kind of feel like I've run a marathon without really doing any kind of exercise. So I'm pretty pumped about that. We've got a number of things to talk about today. We're going to talk, of course, about the AFI Top 10. We're going to do 10 through 6. Uh, Todd's take on is going to be Castle Rock. Jeff's judgments on uh, Robin Williams' HBO documentary that I recently watched. We're going to talk a little bit about Todd coming to Omaha. And I'm going to plug the podcast awards because I think voting ends on the 31st. So if anybody wants to nominate us, we can do that. And I see Todd is magically updating uh, the document. He has something highlighted. But it, anyway, podcastawards.com. I'm sure once he comes and joins us on the show, uh, he'll be able to let me know what exactly. I don't know if he's trying to write me a secret message or what it is. It's crazy. Anyway, welcome to the show. I hope you had a good week, right? It's Sunday. Um, now I see podcast run, move on. Move on. <laughs> He's telling me to move on. Hope you had a good week. Uh, I was in San Antonio for a few days on a business trip and actually found some kind listeners there or converted some listeners to, to the other kind of radio. They were really pumped and we got a few lists, uh, listens. So uh, hello, San Antonio, and thank you for your business. Um, all right. I guess Todd's out of uh, hair and uh, makeup, so... Let me put out the, the sonar there and see if we can get him. I know he's just going to be thinking of Red October because I did this. Todd, are you there? Come in. I hate that movie. I hate it. You, you ruined this podcast for me. I have to leave. <laughs> I'm surprised you don't like that one. That, I don't, oh. <laughs> see, it's so funny. Yeah. So, yeah, you 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 actually like bad movies or you actually don't like bad movies. And, and, and I have a hard time liking really good movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that yeah, that's a good point. I probably should like it. I like a lot of bad movies. You can put on the old Flash Gordon, and that is a horrendous movie, and I could watch it any day. But God, Hunt for Red October. But it's got oh. it's got a soundtrack by Queen, though. I mean, come on. Well, that is true, and it, you know the production design is pretty cool. But Jesus, that's a bad movie. Yeah, it is pretty bad. All right, so you're going to be here. That's you know, if we could jump in the AV time machine, we you're going to be here. You're going to be in the studios here in Omaha. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm, I'm we're recording pumped. on Sunday as usual. We're recording on Sunday as usual. Believe you me, I have multiple parties. I think the mayor is, is the only person that hasn't asked me what our schedule is while you're in Omaha. Can you take care of that before I get there? I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to try, but it's, I get the key to the city, right? Good Lord. I'm like, you know, I'm like, I, you know, I live here and they're like, yeah, but Todd's coming to town. Jeez well, Louise. Todd so I'm just going <laughs> to. I'm just gonna start telling people that uh, that uh, you're coming to town, and then we'll go. To, I'll go to the event. And they'll be like, "Where's Todd?" Like, God, oh, he 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 died. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> well, he died of laughter. He's not dead. By the um, way, you did hit record today, right? Let me check. Yes. 
Yes. I'm the, sorry. That's the great equalizer. If I died, I at least get to question your ability to hit the simple buttons. Right. For or you'll come back and haunt me and unclick the record button and then. I'll just oh. I'll fall into madness because it'll be the <laughs> the man that could never uh, record a podcast. Uh, how was your week? Talk to me. Uh, my week was okay. It, it's hard coming back from vacation, especially when you go from a place that's in the mid seventies and come back to one that is in about one hundred and six. Yeah, it's been brutal, but uh, you know, not a bad week, Jeff. Not a bad week. I did a little bit of studying up from a trip to come up there because oh. I'm I'm doing my best to persuade Jeff that if there's one film we're going to watch together, it's going to be Citizen Kane. And that's because that's where this whole list again came from this whole, let's break it down. Right. And <laughs> I want him to bring his dad in. His dad loves shooting emails and talking the movies. So what I've been doing all week, uh, you know, Citizen Kane is amongst my favorite films. I've been brushing up on the facts so that when we watch, I can go, okay, this, 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 and here are all the reasons it's so important. I am. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, and yes, he is too. Uh, how long is Citizen Kane? It's about two hours. Thank God, because yeah. Lawrence of Arabia and Gone with the Wind was half my week. <laughs> <laughs> those are long films. I mean, it's one of those things where you start it, you know, and when you're watching on your, your device or Apple TV or whatever, and I'm like, I'm like, man, I know I'm getting old, but does that say three and a half hours? <laughs> and well, then. And then when I started Gone with the Wind, I'm like, what? <laughs> Four hours? Good God. That's the funny thing when everybody, you know, when the Lord of the Rings films and the Hobbit films came out, oh, they're so long. I'm like, it wasn't that long ago that we were making mm -hmm. event films like this that really, cons and they had intermissions in them. Yeah. So uh, we'll get to those. Uh, one thing I want to mention, so kind of keep this in your hip pocket. So I think what we're going to do is we'll finish up next week. And then I think the following week I want us to top three out of the 100 and we've discussed all the okay. movies. So it'll be a real quick discussion. Cause I don't want to beat people over the head. They're like, for the love of God, you know, there's other things going on, but I think a very interesting um, and a little longer conversation that you and I should have is I think we should bring three movies that are not on the AFI 100. That's that a cool idea. Be. I think we should do that. And then we're going to do some customer appreciation because I've been looking at the stats um, of our listeners and they're all over the country. And then there's even Ireland, there's London. We have a lot of listeners that are on a, on a global scale. So I want to, I want to do a little tribute to the kind listener and thank them and kind of give some of those stats back. Cause it's, it's, it's really amazing. Um, especially for our marketing budget, which if I remember was zero, um, you know, is doing good. We're getting the word out. And uh, especially when I travel, I, I was telling you, you know, as a, prior to recording just talking to people and and i promise folks I, I don't just like jump into people's conversations and start talking oh i'm a host on a talk show uh i just wear a giant shirt that says ask me about my podcast um which always you know I, somehow i like the idea of you walking up to just a family and going i'm sorry i know you're feeding your child but can i tell you <laughs> I, I can see you're breastfeeding but you know the importance of <laughs> <laughs> what what is it with you that you always have to take it to the next level? I'm just asking, and I'm asking all the people I'm coming to meet in Omaha, and I can't wait to meet you. I'm gonna have to ask every one of them. Why does he do that? How's he gonna go? We don't talk to him when you're not here. <laughs> it's it, you know, it's just weird how my, my brain works like that. We're actually gonna talk a little bit about that in in Jeff's judgment. Um, but as soon as you say a family and and they're eating, and then I'm like, of course, yeah. And then breastfeeding. It's got to be breastfeeding because that's already. 
uncomfortable for for some people. Now, I do res- highly respect the mother that just is like, I got to feed my baby. Um, in fact, the San Antonio Convention Center, uh, mm-hmm. where I was con- conducting my business, um, has a special has special rooms that are nursing uh, rooms. And then I was going to make a joke about nurses getting their own room, and then I realized that was probably not going to be a very funny joke, so I didn't make one. Uh, yeah, there's there's a great realization in a man's life when you realize that that part of a woman is not about you. It's about life, sustaining life. I had a very good friend that I grew up from, like from childhood, uh-huh. her for years, and she just decided one day to breastfeed right in front of me. I was like, uh, and she went, Todd, it's a sandwich. And I was like, oh, oh, oh. And suddenly the world kind of cleared up for me and I was I was less stupid. Now, see, so. you said sandwich and there's a joke there, but I'm <laughs> I'm not folks, it's too damn early and we've got to get things moving cuz Todd's got a heart out. So, we're just going to walk away from that one. Uh, <laughs> uh last show Jolly, this is the 20th show. So, congratulations. We've made 20 shows. This is fantastic. Ooh. We're getting there. Um, so let's let's just get things started. Let's go ahead and fire up that. Uh, let's see how the projector's doing today. Let's see if it's feeling well, and because uh, it's been it's been. Oh, that's good. Yeah. All right. It's time for Todd's take on. Todd, what's your take on this week? It's on the new Hulu show. Hulu show called Castle Rock, which is basically. Um, it's an amalgam of a lot of tangential type things that happen in the Stephen King world. Um, Castle Rock being a fictional setting that he's used before, I believe, in The Stand. Uh, the Stand, and uh, oh my God, what is the one that's based on the, the book called The Body? My God, Stand by Me. And oh. uh, so, and then you know, Castle Rock being that they then took, I think it's Rob Reiner. Why am I having such a hard time with this? Who uses Castle Rock as their production company? Castle Rock. Oh my God. I suck. Are you okay? I, I, you were my so, brain you is were just so, getting off. You were so good during the pre production meeting. Did you, did you use up all your mojo? I think I did. Or this is probably really what it is. I'm such a drain. <laughs> I collectively bring down the IQ in any situation. Ooh, I could be like a secret spy agent. And what they do is like I go into where all the enemy scientists are and they're like, we found the solution for cold fusion. And I walk in the room and they're like, that's a pretty paint. Uh, that's a pretty color of, uh, of wallpaper. And then they forget everything. And then I'm like, so cool. Cause uh, with how quickly you go off on those little moments. Why am I even on this podcast? <laughs> Don't you think that'd be a, and you could be like my wrangler. And I think I already am. And then, and then like, if you're losing an argument, you'd call me Jeff. I need you here quickly. And then God be like, Oh, I can, I can defeat that argument really quickly. And then I walk in the room and, and he's like, yeah, I like Tang. <laughs> By the way, I just typed move on again. to Jeff. That's All right. Jeff. Castle rock. Who, what, what production uses task Castle Rock movies? I know where it, we're at. It is, it is Rob Reiner. I, okay. I was I was at least right about it. I just doubted myself. So here's the cool thing about it. It, it is not based on a Stephen King book, Ooh. but it takes a lot of little ideas and places and locations, meaning that it it starts off with the warden. We don't really know who he is yet. He's a warden in a prison who kills himself. And as he kills himself, his his car sinks away from the view, and we see that he works for Shawshank Prison. 
So right away they start working those kind of things in. And the cool thing that they also do is they bring in some actors that have been in films before for um, Stephen King, namely Sissy Spacek, who played Carrie. She plays someone in it. Um, Bill Skarsgård, who played Pennywise the Clown in the recent It, plays someone. And so it's just these it's neat little stuff like that. And it's not even super scary as much as it's a scary atmosphere. I just, I'm having a lot of fun with it. What's right? What's it rated? Do you, are you showing it to your daughter? I am going to show it to my daughter. I told her, nice. you know, she loved the, the, the film of it. And she, she runs from horror a bit, but she also embraces it. Yeah. And I get that when you're 15 and you're kind of, Ooh, this is too spooky, but it's, it's a lot of fun. I don't know where it's going. Hulu is a little different, obviously than Netflix, which will just, release it all at once hulu's gonna give you three episodes and then from that point on you get one a week mm, okay they fall apart by the time it gets to the end but as of right now it's pretty fun cool so i, I at least say it deserves a check out if you like stephen king what's going on in the handmaid's tale it, it's done oh. it's wrapped up for the season okay. that's why i didn't talk about it again <laughs> such an ass <laughs> all right let's let's go ahead and uh Slow that projector down. Oh, so loud today. That's great. Um, and move on to Jeff's judgment on. Um, wow, I've got to bring it down. So HBO has a documentary right now that I believe was produced or written by Robin Williams' son. Um, and I think it's like Come Step Into My Mind or something like that. Um, I'll tell you right now, I got probably eight minutes into it and was already in tears. Um when I was 10 or so, and my parents were pretty liberal with the comedy that they exposed me to. I know, I remember listening to Richard Pryor and Eddie Murphy and Monty Python. And, you know, they basically were clear about, you know, hey, this is this is cool. You can listen to it. You can enjoy it. But, you know, don't be telling these jokes to, you know, teachers and stuff. So, uh, oddly, for some reason, I never did. Um but Robin Williams, to me, uh, was, I remember hearing some of his uh, comedy, um, I think it was called, uh, uh, was, it the, was it the Throbbing Python of Love? I can't remember, but there was, it was, it, it was a comedy album, and I'm sure Papa will email us and let us know, but it was the one where he does the whole bit about Mr. Happy, that's his name uh, for his uh, nether region, and... Uh, I'm confused his what his penis and oh. um uh he said he called his mr happy and he says you know because he's always you know got a grin on his face and but he looks like a bellman who says where do you want these bags um just some of the visual uh the 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 visual i guess i'm trying to come up with a clever way of saying it, but the the way of course this is all over on on tape so i was listening to it, i wasn't watching it but he could he could create such a image in front of you without you actually seeing him uh, doing it. Um, that always was was uh, amazing. Um, he's made some some great great comedy, and even when he was you know really deep in his cocaine, he did some really uh, funny routines about it. But it, the the thing that was amazing was that <clears throat> you could almost pick up on a, a tinge of, of pain. And I think that's where a lot of comedy comes from is, you know, maybe things that you are still trying to process or a situation that you're trying to work through. 
he came up with the amazing line that said, uh, cocaine is God's way of saying you're making too much money. Um, again, brilliant. So anyway, this, 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 uh, documentary kind of goes through his life and, and has some interviews with him and other people and everything. It's, it's really touching. Um, you're talking about somebody that was going, you know, light speed, you know, 24, seven, 365. And part of that was drug, drug fueled, but, um, his, there's no doubt that his mind and I, we, Todd often asks me, and I'm in, not in any way comparing myself to the grandmaster um, of you know how things uh, kind of form quickly in your head and, and what you come up with. But if you haven't seen it, um, you know with HBO you can pick up HBO now. This is not a plug; they're not paying us, but you can get HBO now. I think it's like twenty bucks a month or something, and uh, then you don't have to like buy it you know, from your cable company or whatever. So you can, it could be a one-time charge. Definitely recommend, uh, that. And there's some other good content that would keep you entertained for a month, but, uh, definitely worth checking out the Robin Williams HBO documentary. Have you seen it, Todd? I have not. I've not seen it yet because I knew it was coming. I didn't know it had been released. So it's definitely now on my list of must watch. Yeah. It's as possible. It's amazing. It's amazing. And I'd like to also let HBO know you do need to pay us. Just send the check directly to me. Okay. Awesome. I, I don't want to confuse them. When you start saying they aren't paying us, yeah, they you just don't get the money. <laughs> that would be awesome if you got like a big check and it's like the other kind radio really hit its stride when HBO executive <laughs> Bob Daniels was listening and sent them a million dollars. You know you have to hashtag Bob Daniels or whatever if that's really the person's name. I, I know, I don't know. Of course okay, I don't I, know. That shows our stupidity now. We have no idea who we're talking to, but find out who it is, hashtag him, and see if he'll send us a million bucks. Bob Daniels was later quoted saying, I was really surprised they knew my name. Because <laughs> my legal name is Stalin Beshenbo. Oh. <laughs> I, I see. I paint, I started heading, uh, veering a little bit. Had to bring you, it back. You know those questions I have about how fast you think? <laughs> Forget it. Forget <laughs> it. That's gone. Oh, boy. Okay. So since you, you wrote twice, uh, move on. Uh, I just want to just remind everybody, podcastawards.com. You can sign up and nominate us. And if we get nominated, we'll be on the slate. And then we can be voted for if you feel like it. All right. Go ahead. I wasn't going to say anything, but I will at least tell you why I was distracting you earlier. I simply wanted to look at the site, so I copied the URL from our oh. run sheet, and that's all I was doing when you decided, Todd <laughs> is doing something. So it's in like, the future, it's not really that I'm adding anything to this podcast. I'm just looking. I like <laughs> cards. I like visuals. Uh, we're having fun today. All right, let's let's get it going because I know you've got a, a schedule. So let's get through yeah, this because we've got some big, big movies to go through and some, some big movies to go through. So let's start out with the AFI's top films, 100 lists, 100 top films, 10th anniversary edition. I've only been doing this for the last couple of weeks, folks, and I can't remember what it is, what's it called. But anyway, let's get into it. Let's get into number 10. Uh, which came out in 1939. Uh, I'm sure most of our listeners have seen it. The Wizard of Oz. All right. So we have The Wizard of Oz being the story that is Dorothy Gale is swept away from a farm in Kansas to a magical land of Oz in a tornado and embarks on a quest with her friends. 
her new friends, excuse me, to see the wizard who can help her return home to Kansas and help her friends as well. This film, uh, you know, it, I think it's hard for people of our generation, Jeff, to look and understand how massive of an impact it, it had on those that watched film at the time that this came out. This is, you know, once again, this whole breaking down of this list is because why a citizen came at the top it comes out in 1941. It, it changes the true language of how you tell stories, but what, what the wizard of Oz does so beautifully is that it opened up the possibilities of film. It showed a magic element to it that, you know, creating even the magic, the simple magic of a tornado back then was groundbreaking for them, which, you know, if legend holds true, that was done by simply taking a pair of nylon stockings and building a rig that twisted them around from a distance. So it's a pair of woman's nylon stockings doing that, but still it worked. Um, you cannot deny this film's, sweet magic uh from from the point that it it starts in black and white and when she lands in oz it goes to color uh, oh that's cannot, right that's right yeah you cannot deny <clears throat> that judy garland uh is absolutely a star she is not the most beautiful woman that's ever been on screen but boy when she's there you're like wow and here some funny things about it things like somewhere over the rainbow a, a, a song that we all just hold with great reverence was almost cut from the film because they thought, why is she doing that? Why is she singing? You know, and at that time, musicals did not do a lot of allowing the character to sing an in, in internal thought as their song. So the, there's a great trope of, of musicals that a character has to have an I want moment. And this is probably uh, Dorothy's great I want moment. And that was almost kind of a new approach to things for her to sing somewhere over the rainbow there's something better than i have here so you've got that you've got the use of the little people that became the munchkins um different ideas that hadn't been there before so this was in its own way it was star wars at that time in fact mark hamill has come out many times talking about star wars and said we did nothing but remake the wizard of oz and when you start thinking about it well they took a simple farm girl and put her in a, a world far away. Star Wars is a simple farm boy in a world far away. So there's some truth there. So this once again holds true to this idea that the AFI has. These films create the foundation that we can then make other great films from. So I, I, I absolutely think it belongs here, if not possibly a little higher, because we're going to get into one film today that I don't know. Right. So I, I would definitely move it up. I, I quickly glanced through the um, list, and it seems like in 39, 40, 41, um, <clears throat> uh, a lot of you know, Grapes of Wrath, a lot of socially-based uh, movies were out. There was probably some some heaviness uh, in the air. And so I think uh, another reason why this is was well-received and, and where it's at is... Um, you know, it's it's fantasy. It's it's you know, it's true fantasy as far as what's going on. Um, you know, with traveling and tornadoes and straw men and everything else. So, uh, very well said. I don't think I have any notes on it. Uh, I haven't seen I, it in a long time, and 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 you know, uh, you do such a great job of reminding why these why these films are good. 
I didn't have enough time to watch this one because all the other movies in yeah. our list are 8,000 hours long. So um, I actually kind of wish now I would <laughs> watch this one. Well, I think you'd be surprised if you went back. It, 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 Yes, it's very saccharine in places. Yes, it's very dated by how they speak and whatnot. But boy, you know, you, you when you have moments, number one, of someone like Judy Garland singing, when you have Ray Bolger doing the Scarecrow so beautifully, yeah. and really there's no special effects. He's just using his own body and props and costumes to create the illusion that he has no bones and whatnot. Um that's where I talk about the magic. Yeah. Now, here's some cool things about it. You know, this film and Gone with the Wind are linked because both directors, Victor Fleming and George Kukar, uh, worked as the directors on both films. They were they were brought in for various reasons and taken off for various reasons. So these films are oddly tied together in that way. Um, a, you know, the film was not a major smashing success upon release. It's just that it's grown over time. Yeah. As people revered it it was a big hit but it was not a smash like star wars was so this film continues to grow and it's continued to be shown to children today i i it's one of those rare classic magic films that i don't think will ever lose its magic plus you you, you know we can't forget to mention the pink floyd fans who found out if they synced it up and weird yeah it is weird. I've never Have done. I've done never. It? No, I haven't. I haven't. Because it's just to me. I'm not. I don't dabble in 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 that arena much. Mainly because I'm yeah. getting old. But it seems like a lot of setup. And pro I would. I could see it getting everything timed, and then and then taking the uh, the extracurricular whatever uh, drugs, and then and then I'd fall asleep, <laughs> and yeah. I'd, I'd miss it. And I guess my problem is, and I'm about to run because I know the kind listeners that don't agree with me or going to officially hate me. I'm not that big of a Pink Floyd fan. Oh, oh. And so the moment you put that on, I'm like, eh, bye. Yeah. <laughs> I, have to, I have to be in a, in a particular mood for some Pink Floyd, but yeah. All right. So that's 1939's The Wizard of Oz coming in in 10th place. Folks, we're in the top 10. AFI, the American Film Institute, is saying that it's the 10th best film of all time. That's where we're at. We're getting ready to go to number nine, which is 1958's vertigo and i did watch this and i'll let todd give his rundown go so okay i'm trying to decide let's just start with the the simple rundown a san francisco detective suffering from uh, acrophobia investigates the strange activities of an old friend's wife all the while becoming dangerously obsessed with her so the reason i'm i'm baffled on where to start with this this film recently by sight and sound magazine which is I think established like in 1935, 34, something like that from the British Film Institute and actually was the genesis of making lists that are the best films and almost rediscovered Citizen Kane after it had been lost for years and years and they put it on the list and people were like, what? Well, they recently put Vertigo as the, the best film above Citizen Kane. Whoa. Which had a lot of people go, what? But a lot of other people have this great reverence for it. So Hitchcock is one of my favorite directors. I, I love Hitchcock because you can truly watch Hitchcock and understand how film works and understand, like, like we talked about with Psycho, why you put not only shots together in a certain order, but why you have that, that shot of uh, the Anthony Perkins uh, looking through the wall from the side. So he's less frightening. He's more sad. Well, 
when it comes to Vertigo, and I've tried and tried and tried to love this film, I have because I know so many critics love it. I've read countless articles about why they love it. I don't get it. It it doesn't speak to me. I find it, I find it forced. Um, now Hitchcock was really hurt by this film because it was not a hit when it came out. He had had so many hits, and he he ended up blaming its failure on his leading man, who was a constant leading man, Jimmy Stewart. Boom. He blamed him for being 50 years old to Kim Novak's 25 years old. Well, you know, Mr. Hitchcock, you cast the guy. It's yeah. not his fault he's 50 and she's 25. Yeah. Um, there are some cool things. The, the, the film does a lot of cool effects. Yeah. A lot of interesting things. There's the ookiness that he basically can't have sex with this woman until she officially dresses hundred percent like the woman that he was in love with who's dead. Right. And you know, so you've got a little bit of necrophilia. Um, there, there is a cool creation of a shot that Spielberg's used, which is called a push pull where if you've seen jaws in the moment when uh, the Alex Kittner boy is eaten and Sheriff Brody's on the beach and suddenly it looks like the world is sort of, stretching weirdly behind uh sheriff brody that comes from this film and it's considered to be the vertigo effect where, where basically what you do is you either dolly in or dolly out the camera at the same time that you zoom the lens in the opposite direction and so it creates you're, you're skewing the perspective of the lens as you're doing it so you're getting closer but the it's like the background doesn't completely change and it's like how is this working right. so there are a ton of cool things like that but for me I wouldn't even put Vertigo on the top 100. Ooh. I, I just, of, of his films, I don't ever watch it. I'm probably going to go rewatch it now because I, I did a little studying up again to understand some of the facts behind it. I just don't like this movie. I think it's shot beautifully. Right. And again, interesting things. Don't like it. Well, I, I think it deserves a place somewhere on the top 100 um, because it's it's fresh in my mind. And Hitchcock did do a couple of cool things. The way that the opening credits are with a shot of the woman's eye is good. That is very cool. Uh, after the woman dies, and and uh, the, and I noticed his credit on the screen is James Stewart. Um, mm. uh, when he when she dies, he goes through his thing, and they do some some things where they're playing with color. And he's kind of having like this psychedelic kind of experience. Uh, I thought that was revolutionary in a certain way. I guess, you know, trying to put it, put it in context with the year that it came out. So I thought that was good. My favorite shot is after the woman dies. Um, there's this, uh, the shot is looking down on the church. Mm-hmm. And in the and you got to look closely, but in the left hand side, right around nine o'clock, maybe ten, they you see the police and the nuns looking at the body. Then at about five o'clock on the um, on the ground floor, you see um, uh, James uh, exiting the property, and it's a neat shot. It's up there for maybe about six seconds. But to me, it did a great job of showing, you know, what had happened. And now he's sneaking out the back and and trying to get out of there. Well, well, make no mistake. Hitchcock to me is in class above. Oh, sure. It's just that for me. And and I think that anybody, I I think anybody that's a a lover of something like film, as much as I profess to be, you're going to have films that people love that don't connect with you. And if I'm going to pick, uh, 
Hitchcock. I'm going to put Psycho there. I'd actually put Strangers on a Train there. I yes. think that it's a better film, and and I I miss it being not being on this list. So just for me, and it may be that the first time I ever saw Vertigo, it didn't speak to me. And for the oddly the same reason that if you ever look at the poster design, has a swirling effect. Yeah, the studio was afraid that the audiences wouldn't understand what Vertigo was, so they com- they demanded that all advertising have a swirling effect to it. Yeah. But people would get it. And for that reason, it just never spoke to me. No, I'm with you. I've had plenty of movies like that. And you've done a good job of, of kind of talking me at least into it. So I, I'm, I'm using my full toolbox here. Um, I, one thing I will say is this film does not stand up the test of time. Um, there are many situations um, that um, I think, for whatever reason, too much attention was paid to slapping and 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 uh manhandling of 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 actors in this um there's some unnecessary shots there's a character that just disappears um i would love to you know if we could jump in the av time machine and 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 talk to hitchcock about this i i i i I think what you said because that's my other point i've got written down here it it, it's hitchcock-esque but it's missing some huge things. And one of them, and I, I said this throughout the movie, was that Jimmy Stewart was not the person to have. He bothered me so much in this movie. Mm-hmm. And you made a comment in the previous podcast about, you know, John Wayne is John Wayne. And to and Jimmy Stewart is the same thing for me. You know yeah. he's James, Jimmy Stewart. You can tell the way he's talking. And and to him, to he's already kind of a strange cat. And for him to go crazy was, to me, more and more disturbing because it felt forced than than a, than an actor that could have pulled it off. So, um, and then yeah. and then and it also falls prey. One last note I've got here. Oh, two things real quick. Uh, it did do a good job of the big twist. Three things. Um, it did not use a VO. It tried very difficult, very uh, carefully to try and have you follow the story by the, the, the images on the screen. And I know the VO is a, a bit of a taboo, but I would have liked to see a version where they did have a little VO because I think uh-huh. it would have kind of carried it a little bit better. Uh, and then the other thing is this this is almost like the bridge over the River Kwai where, I mean, when the movie's over, it's almost like a big F you because <laughs> <laughs> it's like done. And you're sitting there going like, it just leaves you with like I sat through all of this and accepted a lot of things that I, you know that stretch the imagination and this is how they're ending it. Okay, yeah. yeah. All right. So one thing to it, and, and I promise we're going to move on from this. There is a fantastic book that Francois Truffaut, Truffaut, excuse me, French filmmaker, wrote where he interviewed Hitchcock, and it's simply called Truffaut Hitchcock. And they talk about filmmaking. Why did you do this? What is that? And in it, it is just masterfully done because they will literally take the film strip and show you how the cuts do certain things. And it is, if to people out there that, that ever want to study film and how it works, it, to me, it is the Bible where you begin reading because it is to master filmmakers doing that. And they do have a section where they talk vertical. And I actually am a little mad at myself that I didn't even think to pull that book out and look. Mm, yeah. So I'm going to, by the time I get up there, I'm going to read the passages about vertigo and see if I can't add something next week. Okay. Where we at least maybe find the relevance that, that we're not right. finding. Right. You know, to me again, this is like kind of a token movie. It's, it's now that I've seen it, I can say I can see it and I can talk about it. 
Yeah. But uh, no bueno on the top 10. I, I no. think, yeah, I think it could have been f- much further down. Okay, so that is ninth, 1958's Vertigo in ninth. We are going to go to uh, another movie I know that's one of your favorites because of the director. I did not watch this one as it's very he- heavy, and as I've commented two or three times now, the other movies that are in this top uh, five or, or the top ten that we're going through today are all really long. So that is 1993's number eighth place, Schindler's List. This is Steven Spielberg's film that tells the story of German-occupied Poland during World War II and Oscar Schindler, who gradually becomes concerned for his Jewish workforce after witnessing the persecution by the the Nazi Germans. This was Spielberg's, not just an attempt, but Spielberg's shift into the world of being a a serious filmmaker. He'd made attempts prior to this um, with films like The Color Purple, which, boy, you want to talk about a misstep of a director who does not belong with the content, and even Spielberg uh, says that. Schindler's List was a book by Thomas Keneally, I think is, is the, the writer's name. And he had, Spielberg had been given the, the, the book and, and by a number of important people in his life said, this is yours, you need to make it. And he's like, I'm not ready. So he decides he's ready at the same time, essentially that he's making the original Jurassic Park. This is a, 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 a I, I see how I want to say it. This is, a step that you don't see many directors do. You'll see directors taking on two films at once, and Spielberg's become the master of that, doing two things at once, and sometimes I think to his detriment, but he's pretty stinking good. But when you consider the tone of Jurassic Park and how much of a classic and how loved it became, and to find a a film this high on the list that he made at the same time, dear God, I can't even imagine what his head was going through that time. So he, he basically takes everything that he's ever done with film, all the language he's created and kind of throws it aside, shooting this almost in a handheld documentary style in many parts of it, which he sure there might've been some handheld stuff in previous films, but he had taken so many ideas before. And uh, you look at empire of the sun, which came before this, which is a pretty heavy story, but he, he borderline ruined parts of it by stepping on it too much by, by being Steven Spielberg. In this one, Steven Spielberg all but vanished in places of it and, and allowed the story to tell itself. This film is so incredibly powerful that I will not lie when I say that for about a week and a half afterwards, I would find myself just with tears in my eyes because the image is seared into my memory. Now, the film does have a lot of uh, elements where you can point and poke holes in it. Namely, at the very end, there's a moment where Oscar has helped to free Uh, so many of his workers and he's getting out they're helping him escape and he begins saying i could have gotten one more if i'd sold this trinket if i'd done that if i'd done that this did not happen in in real life this is something that spielberg i've talked about before spielberg feels a need often to put a, a nice book in on things if you watch the movie and if you extract that scene and simply put maybe how do i forget really how oscar schindler escaped but if you put it in there and it's simply, it could even be a 10 second, he escaped, he got away. It's not necessary to the story. The story is about so much more than what he feels about it. In fact, you can argue that a character who doesn't even realize the greatness of what he's done is even more beautiful. And at the end of it, Spielberg, Spielberg 
truly makes the best choice of his book ending by he decides to actually take the Schindler Juden is what they, they call themselves, the survivors that came from the, the Jews that Schindler helped to rescue. He puts the real people in the film and they walk by his graves placing stones on it, which is a Jewish tradition of, of reverence. And they'll walk with the actual actors. And it's the, the best way I've ever seen in my life of telling a, 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 a biopic that, that you allow, here's the actor, here's the real person. If you are not reduced to tears by the end of this film at that moment, then we got some talking to do. This is about the human condition. This is about the human struggle. And I don't know that you're ever going to have a better effort from a director to both evoke the terror and the hope that comes from it. Uh, very well summed up there. Um, I just have two thoughts. One, maybe because it was such a um, difficult subject to film and, and create, maybe his choice to do the Jurassic Park kind of at the same time was to help counter some of the, yeah. some of the, you know, horrificness of, of the subject matter they was having to, co to cover. Um, you mentioned quickly there, Empire of the Sun. Uh, I promise this won't be one of my three, but that's you, you talk about another film that you kind of scratch your head and want to know why isn't on this list because that movie in itself uh, couldn't have been made without Lithgow and it couldn't have been made without a young um, Christian Bale. And that's a great movie as well. Um, it is. And, you know, the, the only re I, I really like the movie, but I think that there are places, again, where he he pushes too hard to get the sentimentality okay. that he doesn't need in it. And I think what I love about Spielberg is I actually think you can see him grow. Yeah. And a lot of filmmakers wouldn't show that. And I like Empire of the Sun, but I think that is one of his problems. I do want to bring up work, work with Schindler's. The film originally got beaten up by a few esteemed critics because of the portion in the middle with the girl in the red dress. Are you familiar with that part, Jeff? Do you remember that? No, I don't. But go ahead. So there's a part in the middle where Schindler, uh, it's during the, um, the eradication of the, the ghettos and they're they're taking jewish people out of the homes putting them on trucks killing them in the streets schindler's up on a hill with with his latest lover and looking down on it and suddenly he sees one child walk by in a in this movie shot in stunning black and white by Janusz kaminski his longtime cinematographer beautifully shot but in the midst of this black and white and all the terror is one little girl wearing a red coat. Suddenly we're introduced to color. Now there's uh, been a nod to color at the very first where um, a, a candle is lit and its color goes away and then cuts to the steam of a, of a, a, a train. Okay. But up to this point, we've had no color. He follows the little girl with color as she just seemingly wanders through and doesn't get caught. And only later in the film when he's uh, at a, a funeral pyre for all the bodies does he see a cart come through and see the little girl with the red coat there mm. now spielberg says look i wanted a way to simply say that he in a in a world of of this he suddenly saw truth yeah what better way can you do it than there's no color and he sees it and he understands it i think I, it, to me, that moment in that film will be one that I never forget of the many films I watch. It is just beautifully done. And I, 
I don't want to be confrontation of those critics that that right. pick on it. They're wrong. That's all I'll say. <laughs> I don't want to be confrontation, but you're wrong. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Well said. Well said. Okay. So that's uh, 1993's. Uh, excuse me, folks, as I uh, adjust my microphone. 1993's uh, Schindler's List coming in eighth place. Two more movies to go. We're going to jump uh, to 1962 and seventh place with Lawrence of Arabia. And I did watch this, so I've got some thoughts. Go ahead, Todd. I am so excited when you tell me you watched it. This is David Lean's telling of the story of T.E. Lawrence, the English officer who successfully united and led the diverse and often warring Arab tribes during World War I in order to fight the Turks. This film is considered by most scholars to be amongst the greatest epics that's ever been put on film and i've mentioned before what a master david lean is um you you can go to uh you can go to dr shivago and and i mentioned before the parade scene where you don't see the murders but suddenly we've seen a bass drummer before and the drum rolls by and we know that person's dead there are similar moments in this uh, and i'm so curious to hear what you thought about things like this i'm going to introduce a few things there is a masterful cut where Lawrence blows a match poof, and it becomes, it cuts to a shot of the sun. And it's just a beautiful, let's tie together flame to sun. There's also the, the very famous approach of Omar Sharif's character where he's originally seen on the horizon as almost a mirage. And it takes a full two minutes for his character to come to us and basically kill someone. Yeah. His, and, yeah, his buddy. <laughs> And it, and, but it's it, because of that, it, you know, you go back to what I, I've talked about. David Lean talked about the masterful filmmaking of Hitchcock, how you almost bore someone and then you shock them. That scene, you're like, what is this? Why am I lingering on someone? And then bam, these are filmmakers that are hands down above others. David Lean is one of Spielberg's favorite. When you go watch Empire of the Sun, guess what Spielberg was inspired by to make Empire of the Sun? Lawrence of Arabia. And you can start watching a lot of the framing of shots and a lot of telling of the story are very similar. This film, you cannot remove from this list. And for me, I might actually put it in the top five. So this is a, this is a long movie. Um, and the, one of the first things that struck me as I was watching it was O'Toole. O'Toole I wrote down O'Toole's Tools. He um, spends a lot. Of, you get to see his face a lot. In fact, I it's been burned into my memory. Um, so I'll, I, again, um, and this isn't necessarily a, a critique. I'm not. I'm not saying that, that this this um, uh, made the movie bad in any way. But just, I mean, it was. You know, it, it just felt like you know. Okay, we got you know desert. We've got people sitting around. Okay, shot of his face. Okay, now we're gonna show camels. You know, walking across from left to right on the screen, and then there's gunfire, and then a shot of his face. Um, I understand that was maybe the style back then, um, but it definitely was something that that I picked up on. Um, I also don't believe a movie like this could ever be made again. Not I, I, logistically impossible is what I wrote down um, because this is before CGI. So every those big, big epic battle scenes, that's a person, um, a lot of carts, a lot of movies. I, I don't even know if anybody died while filming this, but good Lord. Um, 
I wouldn't be surprised if some people at least got injured by trampled by horses and stuff like that. So uh, a huge production. And just from the logistical side, as I was talking to Pop, is one reason why I'm a fan of this movie. Because uh, I dabble a little bit in that world. Uh, nowhere close to what this gentleman did or what this production crew did. But talk about feeding and herding and getting a bunch of people to do what you need them to do. Uh, this is uh, epic uh, on on the realm of it. Um, the storyline the storyline was good. I, I was I was into it. I really enjoyed the intro um, because it does start out with just two of them going across the desert. Great mm-hmm. shots and everything. And then yeah, dude shows up and then shoots him. And then from there, there were a few a few scenes and a few. Uh, interactions and some some of the acting by O'Toole that at time to me got a little distracting with with what they were doing um but 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 it's a biopic so you know I'm sure they were playing uh homage to you know what this individual did and uh all of the um uh complexities with 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 the different Arab uh tribes and then and then the British uh you know and what they're what they were trying to accomplish and what they wanted to do uh while you know fighting the Turks, um, so and then I and logistics epic, uh, and then the, the the last thing I have noted on here is with this movie as long as it was you know they could oh they always have a director's cut and uh, I'm going to try to describe this and and Todd you can correct me but basically as I understand it when a film is shot. Uh, the editor basically puts together, or excuse me, the director puts together their edited version of the film. And then I don't know if it's the production house or, or who I'm sure it's people in suits come in and then they like, they're like, look, it's too long. You got to cut this. You got to cut that. We got to get it within this time frame. blah, 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 blah. So if it was, you know, three and a half hours long, uh, I wonder what his, the director's first version was because good God, I mean, and, and it is difficult and it's interesting because like you said, you know, I know, I know that back then some of the movies were made this way. I mean, this was not a, uh, uh, this wasn't uh, an uncommon thing to have a movie that long and it had an intermission and everything. But, um, I think we've definitely been conditioned, uh, in modern times for that shorter, the shorter flick and, and, you know, I need, I need things clipping along here, you know? So, I tried very hard, especially with this one and the next one, to, you know, just if I felt a scene was going a bit long, to take a deep breath and say, you know, this is just kind of the way they were doing it back then. Well, the difference here is that David Lean began his career as a film manager. Oh. (laughs) And by this time, he had already directed... And and when I say this, I don't mean to be a jerk. I'm going to name films that you may not have heard of, but are considered to be great films. Brief Encounter, Great Expectations, Oliver Twist, Summertime, Bridge on the River Kwai. He'd already made all those films. By oh, wow. Time. Okay. So he was very revered. I can't speak with authority to this. I, di- I did read a wonderful book about this many years ago. I'm pretty sure by this time, Lean basically told people what film he wanted. Mm. I'm not saying that studios wouldn't come in and go, Ooh, we feel kind of iffy about this. There's a scene in this that alludes to that he was raped by captors. And I know the studio was very yeah. hesitant about how that was played. Yeah. Um, but Lean 
understood film in, in a way many don't. And that's why his films are going to be on this list. Like I've said, people like Spielberg adore him. And I'm pretty sure by this time he was pretty purposeful how he wanted it. You're right. It does cut to a lot of shots of Peter O'Toole. And I'm going to, I'm going to flatly say it. I don't know if there's ever been a man that's more beautifully photographed than O'Toole is in this film because his blue eyes will literally, you know, jump off the screen. You, you are so good for saying that because I, the way I kind of came out and I formed my words, it may have, uh, uh, some of the kind listeners may have thought that I was saying that was a bad thing. He is a very handsome man, and and those shots are are, are nice. The very well, I mean, they, it, they're very well shot and put together. It's not a bad shot. There's just a ton of them, you know. So uh, again, it's one of those things that just kind of pulls me out of the of of watching the film. Uh, so I. It, Thank you for pointing that. I want you to continue, but yeah, I, he's a, he's a great guy to look at, and like his blue eyes are just you know you know uh, a character of their own in the film almost, without question. And it was shot by Freddie Young, who had done a lot of work with Lean. So these were people that understood how to work together, what to do. So I I don't. I, I do not fault you at all for your thoughts of that it went long, that there are long cuts. It is a very different era. Yeah. It's a very different style. Um, I When it comes down to that, I don't know sometimes if you can say that there's anything wrong with a scene too long. Sometimes a right. director is going to stay on a scene too long to make you uncomfortable, right. to make you because really what happens to Lawrence in this is he begins with a, almost a humble assignment and he loses himself in the grandeur of what he becomes. And yes. perhaps lean lingers on those so that we begin to think, God, he's a narcissist. You, you, you're doing these almost subliminal mm, type yeah. techniques to plan it in the audience's mind as you go forward. Yeah. So I think I would, I would imagine that he did some of that and damn it, I'm going to have to pull that book out now and reread it. So, and, and I, I did forget to write down, I do see the first introduction of R2, I texted you this and I didn't hear back from you, but the, the first introduction of R2-D2 and C-3PO. I was yeah, able, I remember you saying that. I yeah. don't, so in I the movie, he, yeah, he gets he gets uh, some of these guys, was they, well, without getting to the whole plot line, but anyway, there's these two uh, servants that become his... Uh, yes. in the film and they're you know now 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 <laughs> they both uh they both have extraordinarily awful things happen to them and die <laughs> so maybe not quite c-3po and r2d2 but um what i really liked about that moment was uh as i'm expanding my 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 catalog that i've seen you can see i saw desert and i saw bubbling uh you know characters or, or comedic relief and i immediately thought oh yeah just like just like those two um i'm just grateful that lucas didn't do to r2 and c3po what he did to these young two men i'm sure when he pitched it he basically said okay we're gonna do this but we're gonna make them nicer <laughs> um yeah so and I was I was incorrect when I said that he and Freddie Young had worked. This was their first time together, oh, but they okay. would go on to work together. I'm pretty sure for the rest of their careers, just about. Yeah, there was quite a few right moments where they worked. So you, you're putting two people together that were very good and, yeah. and went on to forge a, a great relationship. I I just I adore this film. Yeah, it, it, being as long as it when yeah. you adore it, you can't sit down and watch it often. But right, yes, and and I do want to say before we move on to the final film of the day, this 
out of the movies, and this might be something I kind of look into and give just a real quick report on on another podcast, but this is definitely a movie that I will watch again. Um, it, it, so, yeah, I mean, I guess I didn't sell it that I really liked it, um, but I will watch it again. This is one where, out of, out of, out of most of them, and I'll have to look through and see which other ones I would, um, but I, I, I'm when the time is right, and I've you know taken like six weeks of vacation. I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll I'll watch this film again. So you have to have a day for every five minutes of film, basically. Good lord, have any? Yeah, I know you're part of the the movie by minute podcast family with Minute of the Apes. Kind of listener, if you have a few minutes, make sure you check out Minute of the Apes. It's a good podcast. Um, could you imagine doing this one? Yes. I could. The oh. problem is, is that it would take me as long as it takes me to do two of the Planet of the Apes films. Right. And your minutes would be like, in today's minute, we have a shot. Is it a mirage? It is, is it a silhouette of a man on a camel coming towards us? That's a great point because there are so many long lingering moments in this that you literally would. We already lament in, in the, the Men of the Apes that often we're, we're caught in moments where it's 45 seconds of them walking and nothing happens. <laughs> Christ, no, now I don't want to do this film. So right. thank you for scaring me straight. In today's minute, we have a shot of Peter O'Toole's face. And that's it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's 1962's number seventh uh, place. I'm doing a bad job of uh, Casey Kasem would be very upset. Uh, 1962, seventh place, Lawrence of Arabia. I should say it, that's. In seventh place, 1962's Lawrence of Arabia. I could go on and on. That's also kind of what happens in my brain. Can you um, do me a favor, though? Yeah. From now on, when you have moments like this, can you go find that tape of Casey Kasem cussing? And oh, is there one that exists? Have you never heard that? No, no. Oh, maybe yeah. maybe we'll play it. We need, and look, the kind of listener, yeah. if, if we do it, we're not beeping it. We're letting it play. He loses his, and it is so funny. I loved Casey Kasem. Oh, man. And now for our long-distance dedication. Dear Casey, I've been living in a dumpster by myself. <laughs> There's a gumball that's rolled across the street. Would you play the Rolling Stones' Get Off of My Cloud? <laughs> I, I, there, it, yeah, we, we'll have a show because, you know, we, we're going to have to take a break from, from film. But yeah. we should do it, Casey Kasem. We'll do a whole episode on that because growing up with radio, I mean, there was Casey Kasem and then there was um, uh, Paul Harvey. Oh, yeah. Good day. I mean, I, I, before, you know, and this was this was when I was really young, I never gravitated that much towards television. You know, it wasn't like, like, I want to watch TV. I want to watch TV. Video games hadn't really been invented yet. Mm -hmm. But listening to radio. Oh, yeah. I just, it was amazing. Love it. Okay. I so cannot wait to talk about Citizen Kane now because I know that about you. Oh, there we go. All right. We're going to, this is the, the, the final one we're going to talk about today, folks. Because as we previously said, we're going to do, we did the, we're going to do a five and five because Todd's going to be here in Omaha. I know everybody knows that. Everybody's gotten a flyer. Uh, and we're going to do the last five uh, next week. So we're going to go to 1939. So the same year that Wizard of Oz came out, this this big movie came out. Um, it's in sixth place. Uh, its title is Gone with the Wind. And I have... <laughs> this is a four and a half hour movie, folks. Um, 
and I had social engagements and other things, and I'm literally trying to watch it while other stuff is going on. So I got through, I'm, I'm down to an hour and a half left. <laughs> I kept falling asleep just because, I, I mean, it's a good movie. Anyway, I'll shut up. Todd, tell us about Gone with the Wind. Starring Clark Gable and Vivian Lee, Leslie Howard and Olivia de Havilland, this is the telling of Margaret Mitchell's novel about a manipulative woman and a roguish man who conduct a turbulent romance during the American Civil War and Reconstruction periods. I'm going to flat out say this right now. I got to be really good right now because this is my wife's favorite film of all time. <laughs> now, when I was a kid, this was also revered in my house because my older sister, who I have proudly trumpeted before, she is a doctor of Dickensian literature. She knows her stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, she loved this book and this movie. Yeah. I remember being drugged to see this came through our town in drug. A, yeah. And it was dark. I didn't want to see this. This sounds stupid. It was like, I don't want to see some of that people falling in love. Uh, I want people to die. And well, you get a little bit of that. Yeah. Do get a little bit of that. So <laughs> this film is, it, it's funny. We actually, I got together yesterday for my mom's birthday and we, we ended up talking about film as my family always does. And gone with the wind came up. My parents had recently rewatched it. And they were talking about it. My sister, who, again, loves this, said how faithful it is to the book. Obviously, anything that ever adapts a book, right? you have to change things. And, and I know there are the people that we can get into the conversation at some point about books are better than movies. You know what? No, they're not. They're just wonderful in their own mm. realm. A film can't be a book. A film can't tell all the trivial things that go on that make a book so lovely. Instead there's an art to truncating it. And I think that's exactly what Gone with the Wind does beautifully. Yeah. It takes this massive story. It is a love story at heart, but you know, there's a reason that if you look at the, the poster of Gone with the Wind and go look at the classic poster for the Empire Strikes Back, there's a reason yeah. why that poster evokes Scarlet and Rhett. Yeah. Because they wanted Han and Leia to have that same thing. So this film, the reason to bring that up, permeates way throughout all romances turbulent romances and you you possibly have never had better screen chemistry than what you get between clark gable and vivian lee she is the perfect scarlet she is a brat she's horrible it's hard for us to sympathize with with her yet we do yet we pull for her. as my wife often says i i want to slap her because she's so stupid but i love her and this film it's beautifully constructed. Yeah, you can go along and you can say Leslie Howard is almost like watching Toast on screen. He, he is boring as anything. But this film is groundbreaking in its, its discussion of war. Uh, we see yeah. the aftermath where we see people get limbs am amputated. We see people of color that, yeah, they're still slaves and they're probably, it's probably whitewashed a bit. But there, the thing is, we we allowed as a uh, a society to have people of color portray people of color. That's groundbreaking at this time. Right. Um. You you can make the the comment that hey, you know, they should have been truthful about it. But you got to take a first step. And this film takes it, anyone that ever bemoans anything other than that it's four hours long. <laughs> right. So, you need to watch it with some open eyes because it is a monumentally beautifully made film. It is. It, it really is. Um, you talk about epic and scale again. Yes. Geez. Very epic. 
and I do have some notes to go over. However, I'm, I'm checking on something really quick here. Um, so maybe they're not doing it. They, I looked up a stat of how long the film is. Um, and maybe I need to pick another movie from, from that. But basically what, what it's saying here is, uh, and I'm on, on, on the AFI website. Um, uh, where was it? I'm sorry, folks, bear with me here. I apologize. Copyright number. It said duration, uh, in minutes it's 220. Oh, length and feet. <laughs> 20,300. Wow. Um, I was trying to find another movie to put it, that into comparison. You're right. You're right. And I, and I am beating up on it. Uh, to me, it's funny. And, and if anybody knows, my good friend Todd knows, I can beat a dead horse. Uh, sorry to the horses uh, out there on, on something. So, I, 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 yeah, maybe I'm going, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm pushing the envelope or the edge a little bit with talking about how long these movies are. I haven't finished it yet, but I'll tell you this. I'm, I want to see what's going on. So here are a couple of my, my notices. They're... One thing they do in this movie, and I don't know if it's on purpose or not, and you can help me figure this out, Todd, is there is a different there there is a definite rhythm to every scene, and generally it starts out with uh, Scarlet, who almost said a bad word, whining <laughs> about <laughs> something. Right, I can't believe I'm humming by. And then you get the other actor going, It's like, And he's like, And then she goes, And the guy goes, And then it fades to black. And then we have a horse coming across the field. And then it's Scarlet. It's a shot of Carly. She's like, I don't know. I was thinking about getting a sandwich today, but I really don't know what. And then it goes right back into that that whole uh, crescendo. Um, so can I can I interject there? You absolutely no 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 no. Please please please. So first off, that sounded a lot like when my daughter plays Sims, <laughs> and the characters. Wah, 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's exactly it. Yeah. Um, I, I I actually think Jeff. That's not unique to this film. I think that's every film. I yeah, think yeah. every film has a rhythm and a cadence, and that is half of what directing is, is understanding what you want. Right. Well, this and track got stuck on repeat. Like, yeah, but I, I think that <laughs> any of them, if you begin to listen to the rhythm, I yeah. think Star Wars has that. I think that it has, da, 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 da. you know, it's all over the place like that, and it has moments, and it understands, I'm going to go get a sandwich, and then, ah. <laughs> I, I, Could you I imagine? think that that's there everywhere, and I think maybe... This film's helping you wake up to hear that. Oh, sure, yeah. Could you imagine Scarlet, like, I don't know, being Princess Leia? <laughs> Which in some ways she kind of is, because right with, as soon as she meets Luke, one of the greatest lines ever that I didn't understand when I was a young kid, but now I understand it as a, I've matured just slightly over the last 35 years, um, is the first time he's there. She's in her cell. He's, he's like, I'm Luke Skywalker. Oh, he comes into the room. And her comment is, aren't you a little short for a stormtrooper? <laughs> yeah, she's definitely yeah. Scarlett O'Hara, without question. There you go. So, look, we're, we're, we're mapping it here. Everything uh, links back to Star Wars. I do want to say real quick, because I, I know we're on a time schedule, but I, I do want to, to mention um, grand scenes. And maybe sometime we can talk about it, but there's definitely a lot of rear projection going on and some of the big grand scenes that are done there uh, I would almost suspect and was trying to pick up on during the big fire scenes uh, obviously they the actors 
were not there when the stuff was on fire, but it's it's well done. So I'm saying like it's being projected on a screen behind the actors, and they're kind of going in front of it. Now the sets are pretty amazing. And the, the other thing that I noticed is there was a lot of um, I don't want to say, is it the right term to say mapping where they where they paint, and then they have just a little sliver of that painting where their cart goes down. I could almost see um, a lot of that use. Yeah. Uh, the use of silhouette is gorgeous. Um, I want to stay in those scenes more often. Those those scenes, funny enough, often mute a little bit of her uh, their, her tirades that she goes on. Um, fashion, oh man, there you know the dresses and and what the men are wearing. I mean, this is you know a lot of detail and put into what. Um, you know the characters were wearing because in the beginning it's so important to show the decadence and then i'm at the point now where it's a little post-war she's talking to ashley a man named ashley and you know uh which is leslie howard and was the wet toast on screen yeah yeah he's not that he's not that yeah um, and they're very poor. It's post-war, so you see them from go from from you know riches to 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 rags. And I I'm, I want to see what happens after that. But um, a, you know, one thing that is very clear in watching this film is a lot of love went into it. I know it was extremely difficult, probably to shoot, and you know all of the uh, elements involved. But this movie, to me, drips heart and 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 a true dedication to being authentic and and true to it now as you say at the book um, i get it the tirades and the way that the rhythm was and we've often joked about you know some of these films and, and it, it's hard but um i understand and have a better pr appreciation for it um simply by watching some of these other films uh ab about this film and, and, and not only what they did technically, and I'll let you talk to some of this, maybe some of the special effects stuff that you know here in a second, but I mean, from that uh, to the dialogue, to the fashion, um, I, again, uh, even comparing it to, and I don't know how close they are in years, but to something like The Sound of Music, um, this is a movie that, and I can see why, especially, uh, uh, you know, like your sister and other people I've talked to that have, have watched this when they were young women why it's such a an amazing experience because it's it's you know you take the same kid you put it in star wars and eh, maybe not the same reaction but this kind of has all the elements of of you know a love story and kissing and all this other stuff that may have been um kind of a uh, adolescent type of uh journey if you will um but you know just just amazing and and definitely this is one that that, that i want to finish watching will watch again and definitely deserves this spot in the afi kudos to everyone like you know like they're going to hear this <laughs> someone asked me that they're like you say yeah, thank you to mostly dead yeah yeah you say you you say thank you to people that you know you know they're dead and it's like yeah but you know you never know i'm uh, putting the good karma out there yeah, people but, come yeah, on the good the good the good vibe um Kudos to everyone that, that worked on this, and I'm sure I'm sure that most, when they were done, walked away uh, a little changed. So I, I do want to throw in at least one thing here: the burning of Atlanta is a famous moment in film history because much of that's real, Jeff. That's not backward projection. That oh, they really? actually took old sets 
from The Last of the Mohicans, Little Lord Lord Fauntleroy, and the big wall from King Kong and burned them. Wow. They did not put Vivian Lee or um, Clark Gable on the buggy as they go through. Uh, but I believe they were then. That's good. Many shots that you see are actually people. Now, again, here's the, here's the, the lie of film. It looks like they're in that moment, but depending on what lens you put, you can make someone appear to be closer to something than they are. Yeah, That's how we often get that whole thing where you see somebody with an explosion behind them. Well, the explosion really happens behind them, but they're safe. It's just the lens has a, a certain configuration of glass that makes it look like it's closer to that. I think it's that. called a telephoto Same. lens, right? Well, there, there are a couple of differences, but yes, that's okay. one you can use. Okay. And so this... This kind of filmmaking, when you talk about Lawrence Arabia, this is definitely something that doesn't happen anymore. Not only would they not burn like that because of fire hazards of getting out of control, but the cost of it, the the potential damage of it. They would create this with CGI. This film was created at a time when Hollywood basically said, we've got this massive book. We've got to release this. This is going to be big. This was so big that other studios began what is now almost common where they found properties that were similar to it and said, we got to put this out. Jezebel comes to mind with Betty Davis that they, they had to put it out because it, it at least felt similar to it. So this film, actually, you know, I'm just reading this. Uh, that's right. But Jezebel actually came out the year before because they knew that that was, that's right. They knew it was coming and they shot ahead of it. I want to correct myself, ah, but okay. um, gone with the wind. I, I I don't personally ever want to watch it again, but I will tell you that if you do, you will sit down and be knocked over by it. The one thing I'll say is that it, it happens two years before Citizen Kane, and I just said this to my sister right. yesterday. Oh, okay. She knows my love of it. I said, can you imagine <laughs> if Citizen Kane had happened and they shot it two years after? Because the film is rather flat in the way that a lot of dialogue scenes are delivered yeah. you will get over the shoulders you'll get cutting to back and forth but you won't have the dramatic staging of scenes that citizen kane has that have become staples of how we shoot films now right um i just i would love to see you know if i could ever go in that that time machine you keep referring to mm -hmm. and say hey can you make that movie a few years later mm, yeah it would have been a very interesting film it's already a great film yeah. Don't want to take away from it. Just an interesting thought. Uh, I did find another movie that um, does give it its uh, film in feet. <laughs> mm -hmm. So we'll remind everybody that uh, Gone with the Wind is 20,300 feet in length. Uh, Sunset Boulevard, 11,000. There you go. So, about twice as long. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I, I this has been again such a great journey to go through these, and I I guarantee you. Speaking of going back in time and using the AV time machine, because the AV time machine is not just the, the thing about the AV time machine. I, mean, I don't know if I've broken it down for the kind listener or even for Todd. It's the AV time machine, but its only use is for AV purposes, audiovisual purposes. So you can't go back and you know kill somebody when they're a baby so they don't grow up and do bad things. All you can do is use it for AV. So you could go back and maybe watch a movie in the theater when it came out. Can but I go back it. and kill George Lucas before he made the prequels? No, there's no death with the AV time machine. Oh. You, hey, you want to build a, a death-bringing Debbie Downer time machine? Go for it. But you're not using my my plans. I Mine's, mine's for good. Um... The prequels, though, that's that's tempting. 
<laughs> I might help you. I knew I, I could draw you. you to the dark side. <laughs> right. Um, so, uh, you know, I guarantee you, if we could jump in the AV time machine and go back and talk to Jeff a year ago, I would have a pretty big argument with myself, which for a few of the kind listeners, they may actually pay money to watch that. But um, with, with being armed with, with a little bit of knowledge um, and being able to watch this. So I, I can make those comments about the rhythm of it. And good God, does she do a lot of complaining in this film? Um, I'm, I at least can stay on track where I don't think I would have had that ability um, prior to, to doing this. So sometimes you got to fight through a couple scenes and you understand that, the, you know, um, they're, they're shooting that for a reason. They're trying to set something else or they're trying to show Peter our tools the 8 millionth time. I should look that up and see how many shots he's, he's got in there. Cause I, there is a lot. In fact, if I had, if, if I had my time back, I would, um, recut Lawrence of Arabia, but it's all of Peter O'Toole's face, and I want to know how long that film, <laughs> how long that film is. Um, but yeah, I can't wait to see what happens because um, I I know I I know with without my dad, I, notice he's not going to give me any spoilers on this one. Um, I know the frankly, my dear, I know that's like pretty close to the end, right? Yeah. Okay, and I know what the scene is set up, but I kind of want to know how how they get there. And I do like the Clark Gable scene where he goes, uh, "You need to be, you need to be kissed by a man often, and 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 by someone who knows what they're doing." Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's there's some gems in there that stand up. And for for what it's worth, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. First time for your uh, four letter word was used in Hollywood. Really? Oh, and censors didn't like it, and they won, and they got that in there, and it's the classic line it is wow i wonder what they what did they also try to put in there yeah, he was really supposed to say effing damn but you know they they had to cut it right i don't give a boat toting barrel floating <laughs> <laughs> uh clark can you just say damn can you just say damn <laughs> we're, we're on day 70 of shooting all right, so I think that's it. I know you've got to get going. So uh, See ya. any final thoughts on, on – I didn't realize last episode I really just you know summed it up. But anything you want to say about these uh, five films that we went over or leave us with as we end our the end of our journey? I, I want to say this with all sincerity. I couldn't be more proud of you Woo-hoo. watching these films, allowing your mind to open because, you know th- – there are so many times that you and I've sat around teasing each other and picking at each other yeah. about different things. And and this kind of thing has come up where Jeff's like, yeah, yeah. I saw that movie boring. Yeah. I was like, Oh God, Jeff, come on. <laughs> but you've been, yeah, God, I, I don't know a better word. And this is because my daughter's listening to so much. Abbott. You've been a super trooper. Oh, thank you. You really have. I, I, I couldn't be more proud to hear you say you would go back and, and fight with yourself to simply say, hey, you were wrong. Here's why. A film often, just like anything else, you got to learn that language. And once you learn the language, you begin to see it. And I think it opens your mind to different things. I, I just love that you're watching these films. You're doing a great job. Thank you. And, and thank you for putting up with my ignorance for so many years. Uh, you, like so many that are in my life, uh, you know, I'm always one thought away and I'm going, thank God. Um, but I, I appreciate your patience and this has been great. I mean, I was talking to some people down in, in San Antonio about it and, uh, 
you know, it's one of those things where it's very easy to, uh, you know, give a one word review of a movie, but with a little bit of knowledge and some patience, uh, you can, you can really, uh, it really opens your eyes and you can have a pretty good, uh, conversation about film and, and story and everything like we have. So I, I appreciate it as well. All right, I'm, uh, we're going to go ahead and get out of here. I do want to leave the kind listener with a little bit of trivia. Did you know that Sunset Boulevard's 1950 film alternate title was A Can of Beans? I think I read that somewhere. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, A Can of Beans? I'll tell you right now. If people said, hey, have you watched A Can of Beans? I'm in. That's that's how my brain works. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sunset Boulevard? Not so much. Can of beans? I'm in. I'm in. Oh, well, that's going to do it, folks, uh, for this episode. Uh, please feel free to tweet at us. Send us an email, Jeff at the other kind radio.com, info at the other kind radio.com, or Todd at the, uh, at the radio.com, Todd at the other kind radio.com. Uh, and listeners, homework. Keep in the back of your mind maybe a top three list of the AFI 100 and also think about films that you think should be included because I want when we have that discussion I want input from our kind listeners because I think there's some surprising things I already have two that I'm I'm ready to talk to Todd about so uh, we'll do that after we get through next week's show where Todd will be here join us have a great week we are The Other Kind Radio thanks for listening The Other Kind Radio The other kind.